Hello and welcome to the Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Alex Muir, helping you maximize your performance. In today's episode 40, we're going to be speaking with Solomon Floyd. Solomon is the CEO and founder of Reunion Investments. And please welcome Solomon Floyd to the podcast. And this episode is brought to you by RadioGuestList.com, the number one free radio guest podcast and talk show guest expert interview booking service on the internet. Good to have you on the Mindset Podcast today. Super to have, happy to have you on. And I'm very intrigued by your whole philosophy surrounding um, you know, your investment portfolio, how you got started, and specifically as well, surrounding the uh, tertiary markets so and and a lot of people don't know what that is and you know from my understanding when i was doing some research on your website it's basically underutilized or underserved markets where there is there's definitely growth opportunity but it's these specific communities that don't necessarily have the funding and they need that private investment or institutional investment to grow that community and build it up and you're the and you're the man in charge of, uh, you know, helping rebuild and growing those communities. Absolutely. That's correct. And, and that's really what it comes down to is rebuilding. I'm not, I'm not going out in the middle of nowhere and, and building something brand new that's only going to benefit a, a certain amount of people um, and require people to move and, and really shift economies. I'm really just going to areas where an economy is present, just needs some emergency adrenaline, as I like to call it. Uh, and that's usually an injection of capital to help raise and bring up back value to this market to make it attractive for the people who live there, but also for the people who invest there too. Right on. And how, how, how did you get your start with, have you always been drawn to finance? And was that always something that you were, you uh, had a passion for, or did your, did your passion for finance kind of evolve later on? Cause I know you also got a military background. You're in the air force. Um, no. So my passion for finance, I can't really even say that was a portion of it. I had no clue that I was going to be involved in real estate and raising money. Um, at all. It wasn't out of, not at all the goal. The goal was to like never have to work for anybody again in my entire life because I couldn't stand it. Even in the air force, um, I couldn't stand it. It was a matter of being told you are only worth your rank, right? You only know as much as your rank. And to be told that to somebody like myself and I guess many of your listeners who, you know, know that they have ability, know that they're smart, know that they're the experts in what they do, to be told you're only as good, your, your knowledge is to us is only as good as the rank that's on your shoulder um, didn't make sense to me. So for me, you know, when I got out of the military, I was like, listen, I'm going to build something and I'm going to build something where I can be the expert in. And when I saw the need for housing and other investment opportunities and these military markets, right? It was like, all right, cool. So super underserved market, but here's a military base in the middle of Texas, middle of nowhere, that has an independent GDP of you know $1.6 billion that is wasted in this little community that's not being captured. Well, I guess, you know, in my opinion, I'd love to have some businesses here. I'd love to have some housing here. I'd love to have something that these military members can have and never worry about. And luckily for me, I was in the military during two of the budget crises here in America where we shut down our government because we ran out of money because we're no good at budgeting. 
So the only people who got paid in the federal government at the time were the military members. And it blew my mind because I realized if there was a riot or a revolution or somebody has to go get their ass whooped in another country for no reason, um, they're going to pay us to go do that. And that was where I saw that opportunity to, to continue growing and, and designing. Right, right. And like, that's, yeah, like with your, your military background, it really gave you that in-depth knowledge and analysis of how the military market works in terms of with real estate and economics, right? Yeah, it was that, right? And, and then I kind of realized, you know, from that standpoint, well, real estate's only a very small key to it, right? Because I mean, until I can, until I can stop gravity, right, I'm not going to be able to, to not have to stand on something. And it's weird, right? We, every culture is the exact same. In order to stand somewhere, it has to be owned, right? Nothing is free. It's owned by somebody or something, which means you have to pay for it. You have to pay for the use of the maintenance, the maintenance and all of this. And so what I realized was, right, I can take this basically what I call a eternal economy and I can build businesses. And then if I build these businesses, the military members will come there and spend their money there because they always get paid on the first and 15th. And then it was, all right, well, if they spend their money there all the time, then the employees are always going to be paid who work there. And if they're always paid, they're going to be able to afford better housing. Who's going to provide that housing? Me. And so I was able to just work backwards from the ideal subject or what I could call backcasting. I started at the goal and worked backwards on how I got there. And it started with single family, but it ended with large scale, large scale commercial development. Wow. That is genius i have been called much worse thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so that's how i came to the idea of economic development right it wasn't just real estate like that it's not really about that it's about the fact that everything is real estate right so small business real estate the most expensive thing of owning a business is what the real estate real of course. estate yeah right so if it's so universal in the way that we do and behave and act as people that we build our entire societies around the most expensive real estate, right? It makes sense that you could make the real estate value go up from anything. And that's when I learned another important lesson. I don't know if you want to ask another question before I get into this, because it is sort of the, the preface of how I invest throughout anything in my entire life. No. Yeah. Go, go ahead. I'm, I'm, re I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah. So for me, right. I realized there's no difference between the dirt in Dallas, Texas and the dirt at this military base. Right. What I learned was valuation is so personal. You believe that your iPhone is valuable because it's yours. Right. That's why you paid. So that's how you can justify it. Cause it's mine. I believe my house is so valuable because my idiot neighbors paid the exact same amount that I did for it. That's value. Value is personal. Value isn't real, right? There's worth. If you look at it, your iPhone is just glass and circuits and a camera. So what you're really paying for is shipping parts and then the rest of it goes to the company. Same thing with a house. It's just wood, wires, so plastic, cement, some metal, and whatever fixtures you decide to put inside to make it actually yours, really. You take out all the fun stuff about a house and it's, it's just like every other house. So me realizing this, I said to myself, well, if somebody looks at my market and I can buy the exact same house in Dallas. So in my, in where I live in, in Dallas, Texas, our homes for a 1600 square foot house built in 1960 
<laughs> in 1960 is worth $310,000. That is absolutely insane to me. It's insanity. In my market, where my military bases are, the exact same home costs $34,000. Holy moly. Right? What's the big difference? Valuation. You see, in tertiary markets, properties are viewed purely off of their worth, not off their value. And that's what makes it so powerful because I can fix up this property and make it as beautiful as possible. I can buy it for $35,000. I can fix it up for $50,000. And I can still be underneath $100,000. So when I go and rent this exact house out for $1,100 every single month, to military members who always get paid on time, every time. I now have a 20% cash on cash return with this property. To those of you that do not know, the average cash on cash percent return in places like Dallas, Austin, Houston, New York, not even California, it's very low, but in those places, the average cash on cash return is 5%. percent on tertiary markets specifically No, 5% no in primary markets, places like Dallas, primary yeah, places like Vancouver, places that are super popping. Those holy are primary markets, places like New York, because everything else is so expensive due to value. Those markets are based off of value, not worth. And so people right will pay more because it's convenient to pay more. I have to be near the city because you have to be there, which means, right, it goes back to my original point. You can't not pay for being close to what you have to be. Physically impossible. So Yeah, no, you you pay a premium. You pay you pay, a premium you for, pay a premium. for that convenience. Yeah, Exactly. yeah. But what a lot That's of people don't realize is in a tertiary market, money is still worth the exact same amount. So the, the workers in, in my markets and the workers in Dallas, two waitresses can be doing the exact same thing. The waitress in Dallas has to live with two roommates to be able to afford the house. The waitress in my market doesn't need a roommate. She can rent out a brand new, brand new renovated apartment that I bought for $950,000, right? That's 30 units. She can rent that out for $850 and be A-okay. She doesn't need a roommate. And now I've created something so valuable to my investors that I don't, I don't have to really think about it in the sense of, okay, I need a I mean, I'll, I'll look at market analysis. I, I will, I will look at that and take that into account, but I'm only going to utilize it and identify what's not on the page, which are, you know, Hey, there's a bunch of apartments here that are all D class, a bunch of businesses that are terrible. What it makes me think is, all right, cool. So even if I just made things a little bit nicer, people would enjoy living here again. Problem solved. Common sense investing, common sense decisions. That's all I can tell you is you need to get out of your own head and your own bubble in order to. achieve success, which is get out of your own way. I mean, it, it's literally like, it's the one quote I have in my office. It's get the fuck out of your own way and you'll succeed. <laughs> literally, <laughs> that's like, that's all it is. it uh it makes a lot of sense because that's that's what's what trips a lot of us up is just we're just we're just so fixated on our own thoughts and actions and as soon as we just focus on like you said you know working on that goal and moving backwards then and that's all we focus on then we're not we're not we don't get so tripped up That's really it. And so, you know, what I say is have your goal in mind, right? Know what it is and understand what it is. Be willing to adjust.
but just work backwards from it. Just work backwards from what you want to achieve and you'll figure out how you achieve it. At least, I mean, that's the advice I give to people like myself is if you already know what you want, right? Ask yourself how you got it. You'll be able to talk yourself into building out a roadmap to success or at least to your own success. And um, how have you crafted your mindset to remain consistent towards obtaining, you know, your goals? So for me, I mean, every year I take some time. I, I go on a trip by myself and I separate from work, my my wife and everything else. And I, I separate from all of that. And I take a, just I sit down somewhere and then let me go to California. I may go to Maine. I may go to Miami. I can go anywhere. And I just take some time to myself. I'm gone. I'm, I'm there. I'm focused on me. And I really evaluate what have I done this year? that has allowed me to grow, right? Where are the areas that I want to continue growing? Am I spending too much time at work? Okay, well, if I'm spending too much time at work, then I elaborate and I say, cool, the solution is I may need to hire somebody else to take over some of my business operations and find a manager. So I write that down, I say, cool, that's what we're looking forward to for next year, researching and building up the ability to have a manager, right? Because now I know what the goal is. If I have a manager, then I was able to make sure that my sales were consistent, that my clients and revenue kept growing, that we were able to, you know, maintain and keep all of our bills and have good credit, and that we were able to find a recruiter to help us, right? So I have to make sure those things are all in line. And that a lot of that goes into taking your bigger picture thinkers and, and kind of making them reverse engineer their big picture thinking. And same thing goes for small picture thinkers, right? The very detail-oriented people, right? You have them do the exact same thing, and it may be easier for them to connect the dots and really move forward, put the two together, and it's an unstoppable little uh, connection that you have. So yeah. I mean, that's how I'm able to really center myself. Is I, I mean, I take that time, and I'm telling you, take five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however, many, however much time you need out of your day, and just go and focus on what it is that's going to make you more effective and happy. That's the biggest question I ask myself. Am I happy doing what I'm doing? If it's no, then... Yeah, it's been a common pattern from early on in your childhood, you know, moving into adolescence and into adulthood, creating your dream lifestyle. And I know you touched on it briefly about saying how you never want to work for anyone else. You never want to work for anyone else again. And that was a huge driver for you. But was there anything else specific that also was, a, was, a, was a, another part of that catalyst? Um, so at the time, yes, I told myself I'd never wanted to work for anybody ever again, but then I started working for myself and realized how difficult it is. Um, you know, if <laughs> I'd have been like, yeah, no, hold on. You just want to work for you. Want, you want to, you just, you just want to be rich. That was, that was the goal. I didn't think about it that way. I didn't equate it, but the, the two were very equal. It was like, I just don't want to work ever again. Like, all right, cool. But no, trust me, that was not the thing that I wish I had that I stuck in with my entire life. Um, cause I, I work for my investors, right? Like I work with them and I'm responsible yeah. for their investments and their money. So I'm very, very much in tune of knowing, Hey, listen, I, I'm here for you guys. You guys paid me to do this for you. Um, but when it comes down to it, my biggest thing has been love, right? It's crazy, but my mom and my dad have always told me how much they love me every morning, every morning, every day, every birthday, every, every, my parents have consistently shown me that I am their priority, that they put me ahead of anything else, their entire goals and the rest of their lives. And I grew up like a lot of people, like a lot of black children in America, 
with parents who were not wealthy, <laughs> um, with, with, uh, with a separated family. And through all that, I watched my mother be a waitress to put me through private school where I met people who went to boarding school. And I said, mom, if I go to boarding school, that's the next level. She worked as a waitress to put me through $45,000 a year boarding school with some help from uh, some very, 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 very generous people. Um, but still, right. And so what that showed me was no matter what, I've got love. My parents are going to love me no matter what I do. And that was really the biggest thing that came down to a lot of my, my things, right. It's like my wife, I could, Tell her I'm quitting the business. I'm going to go ride motorcycles professionally. And she'd be like, all right, cool. I love you. Have fun. Right? Because that kind of support, it means I can't fail. I mean, I can, it can not work, <laughs> but there is no failure. Yeah. Right? Because these people love me. They support me. And I have that. And so my biggest, my, my biggest thing that I can say to, to your listeners is find your group of people who are going to love you no matter what. Right? And rely on them. Tell them when it's troubling. Tell them when it's hard. I had a guy tell me the other day, he's like, I'd never tell my wife any of the thing that any of the things that go on at work. And I'm like, well, that seems like a terrible relationship. How is she gonna <laughs> how is she gonna know what's going on like with you? Like how you react to things, how you right? So for me, you know, I'm I'm never I'm not a secret holder. I'll tell you tell you anything you want to know. And my investors know yeah. that. I mean, it's just that simple because at the end of the day, like we're here. And I'm gonna tell you this failure is not an option. And if it's not an option, it just means we're a solution. So, right, the property doesn't sell, great, let's rent it out. The property doesn't rent out because the price is too high, sweet, we'll go do Section 8. We'll go do something different, right? The business isn't working, the business isn't working, let's adjust the business. What do the people want? And, again, that comes into the fact that, you know, I don't think I've got, like, a God complex. I don't think I can't fail. I just know for a fact that there is never a time where I am so afraid of failure where I think, oh my God, if I fail, no one's going to love me. It's like, all right, cool. Listen, I'm going to go take a chance. I'm going to go to this tertiary market that nobody's heard of. I'm going to take a hundred investors on this two and a half hour road trip up there every single day for a hundred days. And all 100 of them are going to tell me no. I'm going to use my last cent to pay for business cards because I know that's what I'm going to need at this networking event. I'm going to risk everything to make it. And then to have people tell you, duh, of course you are. That's like, all right, perfect. That That's exactly what it is, right? Coming down to it for my entire life, for what I, what I can attribute everything to be for that one singular concept is, yeah, like no matter what, I'm going to come home. My dogs are going to love me. Wife's going to love me. My investors may be pissed. But tomorrow I'm going to hit it back and I'm going to make them so much more money. Or my investors, <laughs> my investors may be super happy. My wife may be pissed. Well, I guess we're going to Hawaii, right? Like I will, I, I, I can't stress it enough, right? Like no matter what, a lot of it comes from the internal portion of it. Mine was yeah. driven or at least shown to me by external factors, but make no mistake, they're very much internal factors. And it just guides me into doing the projects that I go after, right? The things nobody else would try, right? The things so many entrepreneurs and people with negative belief mindsets use every single day of their life. And that's fear. I can't do it because no one will love me afterwards. Like, dude, 
no one cares. <laughs> like no one, no one cares. <laughs> like you're just like you know. You again, it's just getting out of your own way, getting out of your own way, yeah. and realizing what's the worst that can happen. So, would you say your biggest differentiator between yourself and your competition, or just competing against yourself, would be you never you never allow your uh, your fear to creep in to stop you from doing what you want to do? Um, I mean, I'll listen to my gut, but yeah, I, I don't really visualize fear as this thing that can stop me. I mean, it's there as a warning sign of like, that's what it's for, right? It's instinctual. Hey, don't yeah. go into that dark cave because it looks like there's bear shit everywhere. And you're like, <laughs> all right, cool. I'm not going to go in that dark cave. But to say, right, like how many, how many great things have come out of fear, right? Literally entire countries were founded off of the concept of fear. And you know what it took? One person to deny that fear and go and do it. I know everybody's going to hate me for saying this, but Christopher Columbus came over here. I bet yeah. he was scared out of his mind. Scared out of his mind. Oh, yeah. Had no clue. And guess what? He landed. He was like, oh, I was right. Fuck all of you. I knew it. <laughs> because <laughs> that's what it's like as an entrepreneur. That's what it's like when you're doing things on your own. That's what it's like in life, right? You can just do it yeah. and imagine if you just yeah, conquering your fear, right? It's the, most, it's the most amazing thing on earth because you could be afraid to do anything. And then once you do it, you're like, huh, it wasn't that bad. And then slowly but surely you realize, hmm, I don't really need to be afraid of a lot of things. You need to be afraid of things like fires and home intruders and, you know, war. Those things you need to be afraid of, but be realistic with it, right? I live in an area where I don't suspect a home intruder, but I'm ex-military. I'm prepared. So that's not a, ever a thing. But for fires, I'm not going to go leave my burner on and be like, I've got nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> no, man. Like, come on. Yeah. You know, like, sensible. Be sensible with how you perceive fear. And you'll realize a lot of it is just you talking yourself out of something. And when you tell yourself, hey, man, shut up. Shut up. Let me think about it for a second. And you go out and do it, it's like, all right, cool. I'm totally set. Like, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? You're going to go water skiing? Like, how could you be afraid to go water skiing? Don't get me wrong. You mess yourself up. But you mess yourself up doing anything. So <laughs> I mean, like, what's, the, what's the point of being afraid of doing the thing that you want to try to do? I just, I, I can't, I could never live in a life where fear dictated how I, I lived and did everything day to day. Yeah. And um, how can someone grow their wealth and their community simultaneously? And in what ways can this be done based on the kind of market research that you and your team do? Uh, what, are, what are some ways that this, uh, this can be done? Yeah, so here's the benefit, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what market you're in. And tertiary doesn't apply just to real estate. So tertiary markets would be, you know, soft drink companies, tertiary companies, you know, things like that. Um, so look for the niche. I serve a very under, 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 underserved group of America, United States military members, people who put their lives on the line as it's advertised to us for our freedom. When sometimes it's for political gain, sometimes it is for the safety of our nation. I serve them because no one else does. 
I serve them because our own government doesn't provide them adequate housing needs. Our own government doesn't even pay them correctly for the sacrifice that they make. They aren't valued as much as they should be. And I'm not saying we have to glorify military members in any way, but come on. Homes made with asbestos and lead paint and radon are no good. No good. No one should have to live that way. So for me, it comes down to I know who the group of people that I'm serving. That's number one. Two, I need to know what it is that I'm selling. What I'm selling to help these people, right, is cheap properties, high returns. Well, it's an investor's wet dream. And three, I know where I'm going. I'm going to these markets. I know what's going on in these markets. I understand them. And I put things together. I'm not the guy who goes and looks and builds all the data. I have a team for that. Because I don't look at communities as data or numbers. I I look at communities as, all right, grandma's left here forever, right? So the biggest example I'm going to give to you is if you're in a market and you just see a bunch of old people and really broken down homes and you just, you see it right all over the world. This is the problem that's happening that no one seems to be paying attention to, but people are getting older. Imagine if you had a building where you could put elderly care people and they could have a great time and be taken care of forever because people get old every single day, but no one's building (laughs) retirement facilities. So Here's why, right? You can't go in a primary market. Again, we come back to Dallas. I can't go to some grandma's house and be like, here, let me offer you $250,000 because she can't buy anything for $250,000. You have to be able to offer these people more value. And I'm going back to that word. You have to offer these people more value, right? Than just money. So a big solution you can try to do this to develop your community is, you say, hey, young lady, the old woman, I'd like to buy your house, and I know I can't offer you enough for, for you to move anywhere else, but what if I did this? I'm going to be building a retirement facility down the road. If you sign this LOI telling me that you'd sell your house to me once this retirement facility is built and that you'd have a spot in the facility, I'll make sure that your first year is free. And you get 100 of those LOIs. Well, you take those 100 LOIs to an investment group and they've got 100 LOIs from some old people who want an elderly care facility and they're willing to pay. You've just provided value in the true sense of the word. Now you have homes that you have sold to you or that you can sell to someone else and you better the neighborhood that way. You either build new homes Uh... or you fix them up and do whatever you want. I'm not saying go and gingerfy and do highest and best use, but if they're crappy homes, I'm not saying slap lipstick on a pig, but maybe you do a nice mid-tier luxury house and you rent the house out for a little bit, three to five years. After that three to five years, you've now established valuation for that property comps, and then you sell them. And then you're out. You now have rental income coming from this elderly care facility who that'll always be full because guess what? People always get old. Always. Yeah. So it's 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 knowing it's knowing what's yeah like like you said it's like a lot of common sense and it's knowing what's underutilized and 
and and yeah and then taking you know taking advantage of those opportunities and and then finding ways to help revitalize and rebuild the community and that's really it right how do you make it better that's perfect and even then you can just take it a step further i was just talking about the residential example but you build a mobile even sorry you build an elderly care facility they're going to want things to do they're going to want a nice place to go get some italian food they're going to want some things that remind them of you know when they were a kid in like a movie theater whatever they're going to want things that they can enjoy too and if old people want it everybody wants it it's just that simple Old people understand that there's no more time for those thrills. They just want to eat some ice cream. Everybody loves ice cream. doesn't matter what kind of ice cream, soybean, fucking almond milk, you name it. Ice cream is the best. So <laughs> what I'm getting at is, yeah. right, just use common sense. The things that are going to be popular, if there are a lot of kids around, then perfect. Build an arcade. Build yourself an ice cream or soda fountain, as we call them sometimes. Um, and you'll have a good time. You will have benefited the community and you would have made somebody or yourself some money. And there's nothing wrong with both. I don't think there's anything wrong with making money. I think there's like, you can make money in like a way that makes sense for everybody. You don't need to go and decimate an entire part of a city to, to make money. You just don't. And that's where a lot of people have a hard time seeing but it's a lot of hard work like what i just talked about that's a lot of hard work yeah it takes it takes years year like very long time to build that kind of uh to rebuild the community but also not only you're rebuilding the community but you're rebuilding the wealth with the wealth in that community because you're you've you've you know you've doubled or quadrupled the value of of each of those properties exactly and and right yeah that's called a because because it's better because it's better quality you're you're because you're building a better quality of life for people they it's going to increase the population it's a, it's a ripple it effect it is sort of like a ripple effect right and so we think about it as if i make all these better homes right whether they be rehabs or new construction well then the next thing i should be doing is finding a company that would benefit from moving over here i can sell them homes at a cheaper cost if they agree to buy them all right because it's all their employees and then i can focus on building the commercial around this new thing or whatever i mean that's that's how it's that's how most developers think right it's like boom like cool if i go and build all this stuff somebody will come um a redeveloper goes in and says all right all this stuff has been built here and people are already here just needs to be better focus on redevelopment that's what needs that's what needs to happen across all of i mean the entire world you know how many buildings are from the 60s and 70s it's 2020 right now (laughs) you can make these things i mean there's so many examples of the way that people have repurposed property and buildings and still been able to profit and make money look at new york new york is a prime example of something like that yeah because new york was like falling apart in this in the 60s and, and then they yeah it was they like, sold it every yeah piece. yeah Every piece, look at New York. I don't know that much about Canada. I'm sorry. I don't know that a lot about your guys' infrastructure and architecture. It's probably just as old as America's, if not older. So exactly. A lot of the stuff that you guys are doing in Canada, and I know that um, uh, in Montreal, for example, right, it's a lot of old building, a lot of old architecture, yet they've been able to preserve it and still keep that sense of community. It's actually one of the main things I love about that, that city is there's like so much culture and community and even even then yeah. the, the benefit is it's canadian right so they're they're nice french people um you go to actual france 
people and just give you the finger and have to tell you to have a great day. Um, you know, at least, <laughs> yeah. at least in Canada, they flip you off with a smile and that's what I like about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And, um, how, how does your book of business work if you have a mix of private and institutional investors and does your organization act like a real estate investment trust? Um, Cause I know. Yeah. So thank you. I'm glad you asked that. Um, no, not really. So the way that we actually really do this is I'll take private investors and again, I segment entire city. So I'll take an entire city and I'll segment it and say, this is where this belongs. This is where this is belongs. Right. And so if I can segment it, that means I can sell off individual projects. So with our private investors, very similar to our institutional ones, I will just help them strategize. It makes no sense to go invest in five different places and five of the same assets, right? If you're only buying multifamily, right. then forgive me, but you're stupid. It makes no sense. If you're only buying single family, then diversify, 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 diversify. With my company, we treat a real estate portfolio like a stock portfolio with a strategy and a plan in place to maximize return and profit. And the way we do that is very simple. I can take one investor with $500,000 and I say, hey, listen, in my market with that $500,000, you can buy up 10 properties. 10 properties, you can fix them all up for, for $500,000. So now this person has 10 properties. Well, I put four other investors right next to him like that in their different quadrants, and we call them investment quadrants. So each investor gets their own quadrant based off of their strategy. So if I have a flipper, I'm going to put him next to a rental guy. And if I have another flipper, I'm going to put him on the other side. So now I've got a rental investor focused in between two flipping investors. So what do you think happens to both, to both, to all three investors, right? The one in the middle is now establishing rental comps while the value of his property rises. He's the long game. While we sell to everybody else. And then I put my institutional investors in and they build all of my commercial assets and they increase what makes something more valuable. Right. It becomes more valuable, more convenient. It becomes right. If the new coffee shop, the new bar, the new tattoo parlor, all the new awesome things are right down the street. Everybody's going to want to live there. Right. Okay. So I, so, them, I, I utilize them as catalyst uh, as catalysts to each other. Right. And so basically from my understanding from what you're saying the institutional investors are are helping establish the new commercial development in the community not all the time like specifically that, but, but yeah, all time, in this but... exact scenario they yeah. are the large attraction portion so for example i can take 25 million dollars of their money and build out a brand new shopping center multifamily. i'm talking restaurants double decker the entire nine yards i can make this thing extremely I mean, beautiful, right? And super fun. And because I know my markets well enough, I know exactly what should be built there. Because I go around and I ask almost every one of them, what do you want? What do you want here? And then I can disseminate that information, give them exactly or something close to, provide better jobs, which then fills up all of my new multifamily units. And really start making sure that 
I'm contributing to the economy while also making sure that my institutional investors are making their money from all of my renters and homeowners that my individual private investors have put into play. So it's a win-win-win. Everybody wins. Military members, institutional investors, past investor. Well, I guess the people. It's, it's very interesting. Very interesting. And I've, I've never heard, like, you've really you've really like taken that strategy from literally the top down or, or bottom up, like to ha to have everyone involved you and you've done it, you've done it in a way to have everyone involved in, in the, the growth, which is very, I've never, I've never been able to, I've never read an investment strategy such as this before. Well, it's just, that's because it's an actual investment strategy. I mean, the other ones, the majority of them, right. The way people think of real estate is you burr. And the Burr, for many of you who don't, for those of you who don't know, um, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. That's what that stands for. So you do that with one home, right? That is meant to bring up the value of properties. So when I have a rental guy come to me and say, hey, man, I got a million dollars that I, I have to put somewhere. I'm like, cool, we're going to go buy a million dollars worth of property. You're going to hold it for five years. And every two years, we are going to sell off three, four, five homes. Every five years, every however many years, we're going to do X. Because the way that a real estate portfolio should work, and the reason people get rich from real estate is they don't hold it forever. Can't. I mean, it'll, it'll replace your job, but it, you know, nine times out of ten, it's not going to make you super wealthy holding on to a single-family home. It's a baseline. So you can continue to raise the value of all the other homes around you. So now you can capture that. And if you're the only investor in your quadrant, which means you're the only investor, you know, within a six or seven block radius from yourself, you've got nothing but opportunity and growth there. Your investors earn their, their passive growth versus active. Growth, That's exactly right? it. So, yeah. And, and what kind of, um, like how, how long, uh, how long does like, do your investors typically, how long does it take them to earn this, this, you know, let's say X amount of growth? Um, is there any, is there any forecasting or so estimate Absolutely. For we have or? got a financial team that builds out the models and a lot of them are Chicago booth and they'll say a lot of them. One of them is a Chicago booth individual, which is a very prestigious economic school here in, in the United States. Um, and he builds these models to basically forecast everything. Now, the difference between my firm and a lot of other firms is I don't only own the real, the investment firm. I also own the construction company and the management company. So I know exactly what we can build for, and I know exactly where we can sell and buy things for, which means our numbers are as precise as they come. So if I know it takes me six months to build 12 homes, then that's how I'm going to sell it. It's six months to build 12 homes. That or it's more crews, right? So that's the benefit of being so dynamic. We offer the most turnkey solution to our investors because I'm not going to be able to get a large construction company to like take its mouth off the teeth of a larger market because that's that's where they that's where they feel safe and safety, right? They fear going someplace else because it was really hard to get started here in a bigger market. Right, right. So do you find that um, like 
other types of investment companies that they get involved with these kind of um, investments or try to like they're, they're having to go through a lot more um, organizations, right? Because they don't, they don't own the construction or the management companies. So there's always all these other parties involved, which really lengthens the process. Right. And also makes it a lot more money. So this way you're keeping costs down and everyone. Knows exactly. So imagine from the start, knowing that you're going to get anywhere from a, 25 to 35% return. Don't get me wrong. That's a big 10%, but that's our margin of error, right? That's where we know we can be within. Either way, you're beating the market. Either way, you're beating very many of your competitors. Holy moly. Yeah, that's a very large return. And that's monthly if you rent, right? Monthly. If you build and sell homes, that number gets much bigger. Wow. And the crazy thing is I'm not going to these markets and I'm not, I'm not buying these things for 90,000 and selling them for 200. I'm buying them for 90,000 and we're selling these homes for 115, 125. We're not gouging people. That doesn't work for us. We make sure that because right, everybody yeah. has to live somewhere. And again, and, and yeah. the companies that are like, we only build a plus like, what about the people who don't can't afford a plus? So like, forget about them. Like, okay, I'm not. I'm going to go build for those people <laughs> because they have money too. And they need a place to live. Yeah, yeah. That's that's super interesting, man. And uh, that's all the time that we got for today, Solomon. But, uh, you know, I really appreciate it having you on the Mindset Podcast today. And uh, I definitely learned some very interesting uh stuff about you know about tertiary markets i've 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 always um i've always been really interested for different ways to learn about how to invest in real estate because i know residential is not the be all and end all and i'm super happy that you're able to explain it to me and and our and our listeners um you know in, in a way that uh you know is is just is a lot is a lot a lot of common sense and, and very practical and 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 the fact that you that you mentioned that you You'll even take all your investors up to the to the areas where you're looking to rebuild or, or repurpose. That is like that is like a that is that's the open cool. selling feature. That's and, what that's what works, right? Is you know, listen, you don't believe me? Come take a look at these homes yourself, right? And they'll be like, <laughs> these things are garbage. Yeah. I'm like, exactly. That's why it's fifteen grand. And they're like, yeah, we'll buy it right now. And so you know, it's not to say that it's a high pressure sales technique. It's more just like. You can only you can only talk about it so much, right? My best advice is if you ever have doubts and you just don't know, go take a drive somewhere. Take a drive until you get to a place that you'd have never, ever, ever in your life gone to and look around. Go and talk to the people. See if they're happy. If they're happy, see if you can make them happier. If they're unhappy, fix their problems. Literally, as an entrepreneur, as a person, you get paid to solve problems. So go solve someone's problem and they will pay you for it. It's the craziest thing on earth. Yeah. Yeah. And um, which social media platforms are you most active on right now? And how can our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. If you guys want to follow me on Instagram, um, it's Solomon Floyd. Quite literally, it's S-O-L-O-M-O-N. Everyone spells it with an A. There's no A. And again, I repeat, there is no A. <laughs> um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Spelled the exact same way, Solomon Floyd. Um, I'm most active there. 
Well, we will be, we will be releasing a series of courses on mastermind.com uh, coming up next year for people to really dive into and listen to. Um, they are going to teach a lot of the principles and concepts that we spoke about here today, primarily as they relate to one, starting a business and two, managing your thoughts and mindset while owning a business, because those are key. And then if you do want to get a hold of me, you just want to talk to me and hear my pretty voice, you can go to booksolomonfloyd.com and that'll give you my direct link um, to book some time with me and talk. And again, that's book, B-O-O-K-S-O-L-O-M-O-N-F-L-O-Y as in yard.com. Uh, yeah. So hold on. Yeah. Book Solomon Floyd. And that's a D. There's a D at the end of Floyd. Of course, everybody should know that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, really appreciate your time today uh, on the Mindset Podcast, Solomon. Uh, had, a, had a fantastic time on our interview and uh, looking forward to have you on again in the near future and to learn, you know, more in depth uh, on uh, tertiary markets and, uh, and the kind of investing that you do for your for uh, within your company. Absolutely, and for your man. I appreciate you having me. This has been awesome. Thank you. Please right on. on. You take care. I hope you enjoyed that special guest series episode brought to you by radioguestless.com. If you enjoyed this podcast interview with myself and my guests and you'd like to give me some feedback, please do so by leaving a short review on Apple Podcasts under Mindcep Podcast. That's M-I-N-D-C-E-P, the Mindset Podcast. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'll be happy to hear your feedback. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can do so as well on social media or on my blog. That's Alexander Muir, A-L-X-A-N-D-E-R, Mir, M is a Mike, U-I-R, dot com. And thank you for listening and see y'all next time.